أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد We continue with the recounting of the Mubarak Seerah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam uh, from uh, Hazrat Shaykh, uh, Shaykh al-Hadith Mawlana Muhammad Zakaria rahimahullah ta'ala Al-Kandalawi rahimahullah in his book Tadhkira Mashaykh Chisht with the sixth year of the Hijra. The eclipse of the sun occurred in this year and for that reason the eclipse prayer, the Salatul Khusuf uh, or Khusuf was ordained. For the past 60 years, the noble companions had neither seen the Kaaba nor their homeland of Makkah Mukarramah. Uh, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was yearning to visit the Kaaba and perform Hajj. During this time, he dreamt that he together with his Sahaba had gone to perform Umrah. When he narrated this dream, all of the companions prepared themselves to visit the Kaaba. Thus, Rasulullah set out with a large body of companions to perform Umrah. And so once he narrated the dream to them, uh, عنهم, uh, they knew that it was the Haqq and it would come to pass because the dreams of the righteous uh, people of the Ummah, uh, they are true uh, but need to be processed through the lens of interpreting metaphor. Meaning a righteous person from this ummah, man or woman, may see a dream, but it needs to be put through the lens of symbols. Uh, what 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 was seen, who was the person seeing them, and what do those symbols mean to that person in order to understand what that, that dream means. Um, and even then, it's, I guess, more of an art than a science. However, the prophets, alayhim salam, their uh, inner state is uh, perfectly in tune with the haqq, and it is perfectly describable through sidq, through, through uh, uh, veracity and being true. So their dreams are true in the literal state, meaning there is no there's no lens that uh, or prism through which the, those dreams are seen in the dream state in a way that's different than the uh, than the little literal reality so they knew that this was something that was a wahi it was a revelation and it, it was going to happen it was going to come to pass the first camp was put up at dhul hulaifa which is uh, the uh, masnoon miqat of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam out of all of the mawaqit it's the one that's most distant from Makkah Mukarramah by uh, by quite a ways, maybe four or five times more distant than the other ones. And um, it's actually right at the end of the Haram of Medina Munawwara. There's a Haram Ma'bain al-Labateha Haramun, the, the area in the valley, the two rocky lava tracts that that, uh, that are on either uh, east or west of Medina Munawwara uh, and the mountains that, that cover them from the south. Once you leave the the uh, the Labatain, the uh, the Haram of the Medina Munawwara, that's where Dhul Hulayfa is, and that's where people will take the Ihram to this day who leave from Medina Munawwara in order to visit the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From here, Bisr bin Abi Sufyan was dispatched to reconnoiter the situation in Mecca. After having accomplished his mission, he met the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at Asfan. He informed the 
he informed the Prophet ﷺ that the kuffar of Mecca were making preparations for war to prevent the Muslims from entering Mecca. While still at Asfan, the most noble Prophet ﷺ told the Sahaba that Khalid bin Walid, uh, who was not yet a Muslim, uh, had arrived at the Valley of Ghamim in, uh, on a reconnoitering mission. He therefore instructed the companions to follow another route. He then called for a guide. Uh, Sayyidina Hamza bin Amr al-Aslami volunteered. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum were then led by him through torturous mountain terrain. The most noble Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam ordered the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum to recite Nastaghfirullah wa natubu ilayhi We seek forgiveness from Allah Most High and we turn to Him in repentance. And these are the these are the the orad and adhkar that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam gave to the Sahaba radiyallahu taala anhum. Other than just being pious words, uh, this is part of the the knowledge of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam of how to say those things uh, to Allah taala and call upon Allah taala through those words that please Him and that garner His help and His assistance. Uh, the Sahaba radiyallahu taala anhum repeatedly recited these words. The Messenger of Allah said that when these words were presented to the uh, children of Israel, they refused to recite them. Uh, he also ordered them to walk on the right side, on the right, right side of the path. And so through their recitation of these words, uh, they were given something, a prize that was offered to the Banu Israel. Uh, but through their obstinance, they, they, they refused to take it and therefore they didn't benefit from it. At this juncture, the Messenger of Allah consulted his companions. Sayyidina Abu Bakr anhu was of the opinion to refrain from all hostility unless attacked. He said since the motive of the journey was not to fight, they should continue. If prevented by the kuffar, uh, 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 then only should measures be taken to repulse them. The Messenger of Allah approved of this advice. Finally, the party of the companions reached Hudaybiyah. Here they were met by Budail bin Waraqa, accompanied by a group of men. He informed the Messenger of Allah وسلم, that the people of Mecca were preparing to intercept the party and prevent the Muslims from entering Mecca Mukarramah. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, sent Budail bin Waraqa to inform the Kuffar of Mecca that the motive for coming was not to fight, rather their intention was only to perform Umrah. The Kuffar, however, rejected the Messenger of Allah وسلم's request for peaceful entry and permission to perform Umrah. Sayyidina Uthman anhu was sent as an envoy to negotiate a peace treaty with the Kuffar. But the Quraysh were adamant in their refusal. They flatly refused permission for the Messenger of Allah وسلم, uh, to enter Mecca, although they consented to Sayyidina Uthman anhu performing Umrah if he so desired. However, Sayyidina Uthman, may Allah Ta'ala be pleased with him, refused to perform Umrah without the Messenger of Allah. This is the, this is the uh, uh, adab of how uh, uh, the Sahaba were with the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and also the adab of how a disciple should be with his Shaykh. That uh, uh, he was thinking of the group and he was thinking of the bigger picture and he was thinking of his uh, uh, connection with uh, the Messenger of Allah and with the other Sahaba radiallahu anhum, not merely using them for uh, as an instrument for personal uh, uh, gratification, like some sort of free public service or some sort of entitlement. Rather, um, 
he felt uh, uh, loyalty and wafa to the Messenger of Allah Although he could have gone and performed his Umrah and said it's just an act of ibadah anyway, but the fact that the Messenger of Allah would be barred from it and that he would indulge in it, it, it was something that inside of him he didn't tolerate. May Allah Ta'ala be pleased with him. The negotiations were prolonged. A rumor had spread amongst the Muslims that Sayyidina Uthman anhu was martyred. The Sahaba anhum and the most noble Prophet وسلم, were greatly grieved and perturbed. In consequence of this rumor, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, sat under a tree and took a pledge from all of the companions to avenge the murder of Sayyidina Uthman. The name of this uh, pledge was the Bay'atul Ridwan, uh, meaning the, the, the oath of the pleasure of Allah. When the Kuffar learned of this pledge, they quickly sent their envoy to negotiate a peace treaty. You see, this, this situation was going to fall apart because the Prophet ﷺ, having come in pilgrim garb to Makkah Mukarramah, uh, and by this time they're all in Ihram, um, this was expo- you know, an exposition of the nifaq and the uh, hypocrisy of Kufr. That uh, the mushrikeen, the, you know, they said that, oh, look, you know, we're. Uh, we're the hosts of the pilgrims, we're the hosts of the guests of Allah Ta'ala and the holy and sacred guardians of the Kaaba. Uh, and we're the ones who host the guests of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And so here's a bunch of people who are in pilgrim garb and they're barring them from, from entering. On top of that, uh, they've, you know, they've met the Sahaba radiallahu anhum in battle as well. And when they heard news of the oath, uh, fear entered their hearts that these are people you don't want to mix it up with. Every time we mix it up with them, the sting is, is, is too much. So they saw this show of force, which was essentially a show of spiritual force, but it scared them. It scared them also with regards to their military uh, and, and, and worldly, uh, worldly position. Rasulullah accepted every condition proposed by the kuffar in the treaty in spite of these conditions being clearly prejudicial and humiliating to the Muslims. The companions, radiallahu anhum, in fact, were not prepared to accept these, condition, these conditions and were determined to fight. But the kuffar, again, exhibited their intransigence. Uh, as an example of their pettiness was the rejection of the words Bismillahirrahmanirrahim being written on the treaty document. They said that they were not aware of who Ar-Rahman was. Ar-Rahman is one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Arabs were uh, not familiar with, even though the name Ar-Rahman is, uh, is used in the, in the Torah. They insisted on writing their customary invocation of Bismik Allahumma, in your name, O Allah. They further rejected the inclusion of the phrase Muhammadur Rasulullah, uh, uh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammad the Messenger of Allah, Suhail bin Amr, who was the kuffar scribe recording the terms of the treaty, said, If we accept you as the messenger of Allah, then there will be no dispute in the first place. We shall not agree to you writing the messenger of Allah in the treaty, rather write Muhammad the son of Abdullah. The messenger of Allah وسلم, replied, By Allah, I am the messenger of Allah regardless of how much you deny it. And this is a, a, another uh, a sign of the messenger of Allah وسلم's, uh, Sufic virtue that he was less concerned with the, uh, uh, with the pleasure of the person who was in front of him uh, and more concerned with the pleasure of Allah and less concerned with being conflict-averse and uh, uh, more concerned with uh, proclaiming the truth, this truth being an absolute truth. 
And many of us, we think of somebody who at this point would say something like this as being contrarian. And if it has to do with, you know, something like your favorite sports team or your favorite, you know, flavor of uh, ice cream or your favorite toppings on a pizza, then yes, it's bad adab and it's bad uh, uh, form to, to, to be uh, so uh, brashly outspoken about it. But when it has to do with such a fundamental haq, the, the, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ is the Rasul of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one of the fundamental truths that the entire material universe's existence is, is, is contingent on. Uh, in those things, the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, those few things, he used to not, uh, he used to not uh, um, beat around the bush. He then instructed Sayyidina Ali anhu was, who was the scribe of the Muslims to delete the words Messenger of Allah and write Muhammad bin Abdullahi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Uh, Sayyidina Ali declared his inability uh, to effect this deletion. The most noble Prophet ﷺ then erased the words himself and uh, had the words Muhammad bin Abdullah uh, uh, substituted. May the peace and blessing of Allah be upon him. Ultimately, after considerable bickering and obstinacy uh, on the part of the kuffar, the treaty was finalized. The following were amongst the terms of the treaty. One, the Muslims should go back this year without performing Umrah. Two, they would be allowed uh, to come the following year only for three days. Three, all warfare was to cease for ten years. Four, any member of the Quraysh who having embraced Islam seeks asylum with the Muslims of Medina Munawwara. Uh, um, that person should be returned to Mecca immediately. Uh, however, if any Muslim uh, comes to Mecca, he should not be returned to Medina or sent back to Medina. It is obvious that these conditions were all in favor of the kuffar. All of the companions, especially Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu wa anhum, were enraged by these unjust terms. Nevertheless, the treaty was ratified with the signatures of both parties. Thus Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa returned with the Sahaba radiallahu anhum without performing Umrah. The dream which the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa had seen was undoubtedly true, and in fact it did materialize. Since the time and year of the predicted Umrah were not Specified in the dream, it was not necessary for the dream to have materialized that very year. The authenticity of the dream therefore remains unassailable. And this is this is important because there are many people, you know, they, they pray and pray and they say, Oh God, Allah Ta'ala didn't answer my prayers. And Allah Ta'ala answers your prayers. Not only does He guarantee that He answers your prayers, but He answers your prayers in the best way. Sometimes we ask for things and they're not good for us. And Allah protects us from them. Or sometimes we ask for things and we want them quickly and they won't be good for us if they're given quickly. But Allah will give it to us at the right time. Or maybe, maybe we ask for things that will never be good for us. And Allah Ta'ala will give us the, the result of those prayers in the hereafter. It's only because of our, our, our lack of trust in Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala that we cannot see that. And Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiAllahu Ta'ala Anhu, uh, he's the one who, uh, uh, who, who says that that this was the occasion in which the verses inna fatahna mubina indeed we had uh, 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 opened for you great opening or great victory uh, they were revealed at this time and uh, uh, and people didn't understand what they meant until later on uh, when Makkah Mukarramah would be conquered by the army of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum uh, Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu his insight was what was that when that day came he realized that that victory wasn't the, didn't belong to the day of the Fath, rather that, that victory belonged to the day that they signed this treaty. And this is something that we have to understand. Many times people will, uh, especially those who argue against the people of Haq, um, 
and and they they put on these kind of like silly uh, pretenses, and they'll do things like what the mushrikeen of Quraysh did, like ask for unfavorable terms in the agreement. Sometimes, if we can step away from our egos just a little bit, um, we can understand that that like the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did, and and and. That's something that, that he taught the ummah. I mean, if anyone does it afterward, it's only because you were taught by the Prophet ﷺ. If you can step away from yourself just for a minute, you realize that, look, uh, it's unfavorable that the mushrikeen uh, say that, that, that whoever, whichever Muslim goes to Medina Munawwara has to be sent back to uh, Makkah Mukarramah. But whoever, whichever Muslim goes to Mecca doesn't have to be sent back to Medina. It seems unfavorable uh, on the face of it. But who's going to be like, oh yeah, I'm praying five times a day, but I, now I want to go back to worshipping Latin Uzza and uh, you know, making sajda in front of stone and wood. No one's going to do it. So practically, uh, practically, it's just a face-saving measure. And the fact that the mushrikeen even would ask for it was a sign of their own uh, of their own weakness uh, in this position, and that they needed to have these kind of uh, 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 measures in effect to save face. And uh, Hazrat Sheikh will actually explain in just a second how uh, those terms were not only neutral but they actually worked against the mushrikeen. This is the inside of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which is only possible by. Uh, uh, you know, by the, the grace and blessing of humility from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in order to see through, uh, uh, you know, the, the surface level meanings of words and into the deep realities that are behind them uh, with regards to the, the, the terms of the treaty. Hazrat Shaykh continues, many events had transpired during the course of the enactment of this treaty. Two significant episodes will be recorded here. From these two events, uh, uh, illustrate... Uh, will be illustrated the extent to which the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam went in uh, uh, to the pledge, uh, honoring it, and also the devotion of the companions radiyallahu anhum to him sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Sayyidna Abu Jandal, uh, Sayyidna Abu Jandal, who uh, who had embraced Islam uh, uh, and was the son of that uh, same Suhail bin Amr, uh, he had embraced Islam and he was being held in captivity uh, by the kuffar in Mecca, namely by his father. He was kept in chains. He wanted to make hijra to Medina Munawwara more than anything. And so when his father saw that the Muslims are making hijra, he tricked his son uh, into coming home and, and had him chained. He was still in chains and being tortured. He managed to escape from prison. Still in fetters, he stumbled upon, to the, upon the Muslim camp, believing that he had reached safety. Suhail, who was the Kofar's delicate in, delegate in the negotiation of the treaty, was Abu Jandal's father. He slapped his son and insisted on taking him back into captivity. Rasulullah responded that the treaty had not yet been finalized. The terms were, therefore, not yet in force. However, Suhail was adamant. Abu Jandal exclaimed that he had embraced Islam and narrated the hardships to which he was subjected. And this was in front of the entire encampment of Sahaba, not just in front of the Prophet and his father. And it was a gut-wrenching experience for all, all, all of them. Uh, Abu Jandal explained that he had embraced Islam uh, and narrated the hardships to which he was subjected. Only Allah is aware of his grief, uh, uh, the grief and anger which crossed the hearts of the Muslims upon hearing uh, his story. But on the instruction of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Sayyidina Abu Jandal was returned to the kuffar. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi consoled Abu Jandal and exhorted him to uh, adopt patience, uh, adding that soon Allah will be opening an avenue for him. After the finalization of the treaty, another Sahabi, Abu Basir, who had embraced Islam, had arrived in Medina Munawwara. 
And Abu Basir was not like you know he was not like a normal uh, he was not like a normal pe- person even for the standards of those days. Um, he was he was a pretty rough and tough uh, 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 person, and he was a, 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 a man of chivalrous and heroic virtue, uh, uh, and not one that could be easily uh, easily kept down in battle. He arrived in Medina Munawwara. The kuffar sent two men to bring him back. In terms of the treaty, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, uh, returned Abu Basir who said, O Rasulullah, I have embraced Islam and have come to you. Are you returning me into the claws of the kuffar? The Messenger of Allah وسلم, also advised him to adopt patience, adding that soon Allah would open a way for him. Sayyidina Abu Basir was led back into the custody of these two kafirs. Uh, along uh, the way back to Makkah Mukarramah, he flattered one of the guards and praised the quality of his sword. The guard, feeling flattered, removed his sword from the scabbard and boasted, I have practiced with it on many people. So saying, he handed the sword to Abu Basir. Taking the sword, Abu Basir uh, swiftly disposed of the guard. When the other guard saw what had happened, he took flight. He, was, uh, he went straight to Medina and lodged a complaint with the Messenger of Allah Sayyidina Abu Basir appeared on the scene and said, O Messenger of Allah, you have returned your pledge... Uh, you have honored your pledge by returning me. I have no pact with them, hence I'm not responsible to them for anything. They have attempted to force me from my deen, hence I have done this. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, said that this incident could spark a war. Would that, and he then remarked, would that Abu Basir had a helper in his cause? Abu Basir understood the implication of this statement. If the kuffar came for him, he would again be handed over. He thus left and set up his hideout along the seashore. So Abu Basir was now uh, technically the charge of the mushrikeen of Makkah Mukarramah uh, and the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had absolutely no responsibility for him because he was handed up, uh, handed out to the kuffar when they asked for him and they were unable to, to handle him. Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam made it uh, clear to him that he wasn't able to stay in Medina Munawwara with the Muslims. Uh, 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 however, uh, uh, he was free to do whatever uh, essentially he needed to do in order to protect himself. Uh, so he went to uh, uh, a place near the Red Sea and set up a hideout. Meanwhile, Abu Jandal, whose story had already been narrated, managed to escape from Makkah Mukarramah again. He linked up with Abu Basir. Thereafter, whoever embraced Islam in Makkah linked up with these fugitives, and soon there they had grown into a sizable group. They had to bear hardships and austere conditions of living in the wilderness where there was neither food nor any settlement. But an avenue had opened for them. They waylaid every caravan of the cruel kuffar which passed their way. They fought the kuffar and captured their merchandise when they were occupying a vantage point uh, where the caravans of the kuffar had to pass from. They wrought havoc uh, and rendered the kuffar helpless. Finally, the kuffar of Mecca sent a an envoy to Medina Munawwara to appeal to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the name of Allah and for the sake of family ties to call this lawless band to Medina for then at least they too would come under the scope of this treaty clearing the way for free movement of their caravans. And so this is the, 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 the first example of how the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam having signed through his humility uh, 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 terms that seemed uneven uh, through his humility, he could see how those terms actually were in his favor, and the mushrikeen themselves then will uh, uh, will will cancel those terms from the treaty uh, in order to be relieved from uh, their own folly. When the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam's letter reached Abu Basir, Allah ta'ala anhu, 
Uh, he was in his last illness. And with the letter of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, calling him back to Medina Munawwara in his hands, he, he, he passed away from this world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with with the companions of the Messenger of Allah. In the seventh year after the Hijra, the Jews who had been expelled from Medina Munawwara had settled in a settlement north of Medina Munawwara called Khaybar. Even here they had involved themselves in conspiracies against Islam. They had instigated the Kuffar to rise against the Muslims. Thus the battle of Khaybar took place in the seventh year and put an end to the mischief that they had caused. This is also uh, from the sagacity of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam that Medina Munawwara was exposed by uh, exposed on two fronts uh, uh, by in exposed to two enemies. One was the mushrikeen of Makkah Mukarramah, and the other was the hostile uh, uh, Jewish tribes that inha- inhabited Khaybar, and both were constantly uh, uh, instigating and goading people against uh, the Muslims and uh, constantly preparing for war against Medina Munawwara. And the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, by signing the Treaty of Khaybar against uh, against one, uh, uh, sorry, the tra- Treaty of Hudaybiyah against uh, his enemy to the south, he opened up for himself a free hand to deal with the enemy to the north. On the 20th or 21st of Muharram, an army of 1400 Sahaba anhum sent off uh, under the command of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, for Khaybar. So Khaybar was a network of fortifications that were connected to, uh, that were connected to farms uh, because Khaybar was an oasis. It had a, a natural uh, a source of water underneath it. Um, and uh, uh, so these fortifications were where the, the, the crops and the wealth that was earned from uh, the agricultural activities of the oasis were stored. And when the Prophet ﷺ had sent for, uh, uh, for the Muslims and the believers to make Umrah, only the, most, uh, only the most sincere of them answered because they knew that we're going to be going uh, almost completely unarmed uh, into the into the uh, land uh, where our, where the enemy has the upper hand uh, in order to perform an act of worship. And it was something that only someone who loved Allah and his Rasul would take that big of a risk for. Uh, whereas when the Muslims set out to uh, march on Khaybar, there was a lot of wealth uh, in those fortifications. So many of those who had given excuses and held back from performing Umrah the, uh, the, in the... Uh, uh, first deputation that went to uh, Hudaybiyah and signed the Treaty of Hudaybiyah um, 
they gave excuses, but now they were ready to go because they expected that they would come back enriched with the treasure of the uh, of the uh, inhabitants of the fortifications of Khaybar if they were uh, successful. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam refused. He's, he commanded that only those who were there uh, on the um, on the attempt to go and make Umrah the year before, only those uh, Sahaba were allowed to come on this uh, come on this campaign. All of the forts of Khaybar were captured. Uh, uh, um, there is the famous incident also uh, of Sayyidina Ali anhu, uh, having jumped uh, the walls of, of several fortifications of Khaybar and opened the, the doors from the inside having fought off uh, their defenders. Uh, and also in his heroic virtue, the the, the hero of Khaybar, uh, uh, um, the hero of Khaybar was a warrior by the name of Marhab. And Sayyidina Ali anhu challenged him in battle and dispatched him on the battlefield with the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the Jews of Khaybar had lost all hope, they sued for peace and they offered to live under a, 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 a treaty with the Muslims. Um, they offered to take the Muslims as partners in their farm. Uh, uh, since they were experienced farmers, the Jews offered to do the actual farming while the Muslims would receive a share of the yield and tribute. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, being mercy to the world, accepted their offer uh, and thus their lives were spared. Sayyidah Safiya, uh, uh, the daughter of Huyay bint Akhtab, uh, who was from the progeny of Sayyidina Harun uh, salam, was captured in this battle by the Muslims. Rasulullah set her free. And she she agreed to marry him, uh, and, and the two of them were were married. Uh, and she also is one of the Ummahatul Mu'minin. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala be pleased with her and send upon her peace. A kind of a, a somewhat of a comical story. Uh, for those of you who have studied in Pakistan, uh, in the Madaris in Pakistan, you know that uh, the Pathans are, mashallah, they send a very sizable contingent of students of knowledge. And uh, um, they, are, uh, they are renowned to be the uh, descendants of Banu Israel. Uh, that, that the lost tribes of the children of Israel uh, in the Babylonian captivity, some of them resettled in Central Asia, and the Batans, they, they lay claim to that lineage. And uh, uh, it's something that uh, even uh, Israeli researchers, I remember once I was in Egypt, we got an Israeli channel on cable. And so I watched a, a documentary that Israeli researchers, some of them, they, they, they accept this uh, they accept this claim. At any rate, there are a number of interesting parts of their culture that that uh, sign up, uh, that line up with old biblical tradition uh, from from the Torah and and from the old uh, uh, from the old scriptures. So one villager, a very pious and simple-hearted villager, uh, who was a student of knowledge. Oftentimes, those simple-minded villagers are the most genius of students, too. By the way, although not always, uh, but one very uh, pious and simple-hearted uh, villager, he. Came to me and he said, uh, he said, Sheikh, which was for whatever odd reason of no design of my own, my nickname in Madrasa. But uh, uh, he said, Sheikh, uh, why is it that all these Punjabis, uh, 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 which is their affectionate uh, and slightly uh, sometimes degrading term that they use for? <laughs> For other Pakistanis and Indians, uh, is how come all these Punjabis they keep uh, saying that we're the descendants of Jews? I say, uh, uh, don't say Jews, say Banu Israel. 
let's say that you're the descendants of the children of Israel. I said that uh, uh, this was something that came up with uh, Sayyidah Safiya ibn Huyay, Umm al-Mu'mineen, that she complained to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that, that, the, the, that some of the women had call, said, oh, she's just a, 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 like a, a, a daughter of the Jews. And uh, uh, he said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam something to her incredible, that if they say that to you, say to them that my father is Harun alayhi salam and my uncle is Musa and that my, my uh, husband is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, which is kind of like a game set match uh, 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 retort. So I, so I said to I said to him, I said, just tell them, mashallah, that we're the olad of the anbiya, and this is why we're beautiful both in our spiritual qualities and and in our uh, uh, physical appearance. And so he's like, yeah, we are good looking people. <laughs> and so he, mashallah, he was he was he was happy with that. Uh, 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 mashallah, all of these things are wonderful. Whoever has good lineage, Allah Ta'ala put barakah in it for you. Just remember that if you don't use it for good, then it's a complete waste. And if you use it for good and in piety and righteousness, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you with it. Uh, something interesting happened in the seventh year uh, also of Hijra. Hazrat Shaykh says that two things were forbidden. One is temporary marriage. Uh, and the second was the meat of donkeys. Uh, uh, and it's interesting, uh, Islam never, you know, Islam never uh, uh, allowed temporary marriage in the sense that it legislated it or it invented it. Rather, the practice of muta'a or temporary marriage, which uh, uh, many of the people of deviance, uh, 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 deviance in, in creed, uh, uh, as a kind of gimmick in order to attract people to their, their cult, um, they'll say, oh no, look, the, the, the deen allows muta'id, allows temporary marriage that a man can say, oh, I'm going to marry so-and-so woman for a mahar of 50 bucks, you know, in the back of my car for like whatever the next three hours. That's not a marriage. That's a joke. That's something that was there in Jahiliyyah and Islam never legislated it. Um, rather, it just didn't uh, proscribe it right away. It was a part of the Jahili a culture like drinking, which was also, uh, uh, which was also uh, uh, erased by our sacred law, and I find it very telling that that muta'a or temporary marriage was proscribed by the sacred law in the same in the same time that eating donkeys was, because both of them is, both of them are something that are uh, you know any person who has any fitra would understand why it's a, a bad idea and not something worthy of a, a person of honor. And then there are those people who permit temporary marriage as a gimmick in order to attract people to their 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 weird aqidah that no one in their right mind would uh, uh, would accept in the first place. But hey, look, temporary marriage uh, and Allah Ta'ala protect us from such people. The mother uh, uh, of Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, Sayyidah Umr Ruman uh, 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 passed away during this year. Allah Ta'ala be pleased with her. In accordance to the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, uh, uh, in the sixth year uh, 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 that was concluded in the sixth year, meaning the, the previous year, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa set off with 2,100 companions to perform Umrah. Um, in terms of the pledge, they stayed three days in Mecca and then they returned uh, to Medina Munawwara. And what an amazing sight that must have been to see the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa and his, uh, his companions all of whom were the awliya of Allah Ta'ala, unlike which the world had never seen, nor will ever see again. Uh, uh, making tawaf around the house of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and saying the talbiyah and returning with their heads shaved. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala give us uh, a station with them because of our love of them. On the journey to Makkah Mukarramah, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam married Ummul Mu'mineen Maymuna. 
uh, who was the uh, the 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 khala of of, of Abdullah bin Abbas radiyallahu anhu. <laughs> It was his intention to have the walima in Makkah Mukarramah, but the kuffar would not relent. They refused to extend the 3D period uh, of grace allowed by the treaty. The walima therefore was held at a place called Saraf while returning from Makkah Mukarramah. This is where the nikah took place, and precisely at the spot the tent was set up, Sayyidina Maymuna uh, would then die uh, in the year 51 after Hijra. Uh, may Allah Ta'ala uh, send upon her peace, and may Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala be pleased with her. After the pact at Khaybar, uh, a Jewess uh, had sent uh, poisoned mutton as a gift to the most noble Prophet ﷺ. His noble character constrained him to accept the gift, that he didn't want to not accept it, uh, because that would be against his noble character. As he placed a piece of it in his mouth, the meat itself spoke by the permission of Allah and said, O Rasulullah, do not eat me, poison has been added to me. He immediately threw down the meat and informed the Sahaba of the situation. One of his companions who had already ate some of the meat had died. Uh, since he uh, had already chewed some of it before swallowing the effect of the poison, endured in the Messenger of Allah وسلم, as long as he lived. And in fact, he complained about feeling the effect of that poison uh, uh, when he uh, when he finally passed away. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala rasulihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.